thanks to Brewpack. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. Thanks, Matt. Good to be back. Right, I thought I was going to. Uh, I, I thought I was going to um, get it wrong. I had a different intro today, so. Yeah, I did. I did notice a subtle difference there. <laughs> uh, we, we're in discussion, in negotiations with the sponsors. So, uh, yeah. No, okay, no worries. No, no, yeah. But um, there's poss- possibly an opportunity, uh, like not that you've got the panhandle out, but uh, if somebody was was keen to come on board and uh, have their brand thrust before a national audience. A national audience, and we're regular these days, and we do reach the cream of the Australian brewing industry, and uh, certainly the possibly the influences uh in, in their respective states so yeah well, well i might well certainly certainly if the uh if if my inbox and my messages and my uh phone calls um off the record are uh, anything to go by yeah we certainly uh have reach oh they're nice to hear and we, we might sort of uh, yeah. talk about some of those cards and letters uh at the end of the show uh how's your week been prof uh, much on anything interesting no no, 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 just a, a busy family week this week. Fair enough. Uh, any new beers this week? Uh, yes, a couple. Because, um, you know, because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, much more choiceful with my, uh, with my beer selections uh, because I'm sort of still working on my fitness kick. And uh, I just find, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, um, I'm enjoying the beers I'm having much more. Um, uh, sipping and savouring. And two that popped up this week, one, uh, Bad Shepherd's California Lager, which is an absolute belter. Um, it's a little bit darker uh, in a California Lager style, but not necessarily in the you know a steam beer um, style. Uh, so not necessarily a, a California common, um, but just beautifully produced and, and very nicely balanced. And again, you know, kind of, broken record saying it over and over again but showing what um what lager can be which was great and the other one um showing what lager can be when it's a pilsner was the uh parrot dog pilsner from uh, the mats the three mats and uh, over in um uh in new zealand nice who i have on my list so if they're listening um matt warner if you could give us a uh, flick us an email uh with your contact because uh, I've, I've flicked an email off, but it hasn't come back. So I don't know whether it got lost in the ether, but uh, would um, he's on my list of people I'd love to have a chat with. Awesome. Uh, you know, I've had, let's see, I'm trying to think of what turned up um, for my tasting this week. Uh, the new beers from, or some new beers, some repackaged beers from Vale, uh, the Vale Ale in cans, the uh, Mid Coast Lager, I think it's called. Uh, I don't have the media list in front of me. I'm just uh, work, working my way through them, but uh, they're quite nice. The, the cans, as Vale has always done very nicely, the packaging has nailed it. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Had a, the, the Christmas pack from Four Pines has turned up, which uh, looks awesome. 500ml bottles of the before, during, and after Christmas pack. Um, yeah. So I have to yeah do some tasting of those. But uh, funnily enough, Prof, I, 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 we, we have talked uh, off air i'm helping a mate out just in the run-up to christmas uh he doing a little bit of repping um beer repping uh a, a fellow who has a distribution company up in queensland is heading off overseas for christmas and his uh rep moved off to open a new bar so i'm just helping him out for a uh, month or two um during that period and it's the first time i've ever ever repped um and i did it partly because i've never repped and 
you know, you and I talk a lot about, you know, we, we talk a lot about, uh, talk to reps, we talk to bars, but I realised I'd never actually repped and I thought it was a good opportunity to uh, spend a little bit of time getting out in the trade, as they say, and, you know, really getting a sense because, you know, when you and I talk, when we talk to reps generally, um, you know, they're talking in a different mode than if they're actually talking to somebody who's trying to sell them beer and you get a very different um, uh, approach. So I found it very, very interesting and uh, taking it back to the Vale um, packaging, you really can't go past good packaging. Um, I think we're well and truly yeah, past yep. the days that you can get your grade 11 daughter who's you know pretty au fait with uh, Photoshop to knock you up some labels. Or, or clip art. Or clip art. Yeah, uh, exactly. Mate, there are still a lot of uh, beer labels out there that look like they were done with um, you know clip art. Now, you do know that you, like you, you, you can't just walk into a venue and, um, and shit can your products. Uh, yes. Well, that, that's why I was a little bit selective. Uh, look, yeah, mate, know, have you got any this in stock? Oh, mate, no, oh, jeez, it's so variable. <laughs> I don't know I, whether I, it's the process or the recipe. Or... I, 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 yeah, well, that's part of it. I, I was, you know, very concerned, um, you know, at, uh, in, in doing it because I had to think long and hard about, you know, possible conflicts and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. But do, do you have a, a broad portfolio or is it is it sort of a... a reasonably limited yeah well this, Without, this guy's been around for a long time i've known him for a long time he was one of the first guys i met when i um first discovered uh, beer and started doing tastings over a decade ago and so he's got a portfolio that is you know has a lot of um belgians he's got some germans he's got some uh, uh he's got some english beers and he's got one or two australian crafts and so i had to think long and hard about well you know jesus does that set me up for a conflict um you know uh, are the beers good? They're, they're beers I can certainly talk about, um, and uh, you know, very happily uh, drink and talk about and recommend. Um, and then Belgian, you know, as you know, I, I tend to prefer local over imported, um, as I'm finding a lot of bars are these days. But they were the classic Belgians, the Duvels, the um, you know, Chimes, those sorts of things. You know, beers of, of, of that um, category that you know, if you're going to be drinking imported beer, you may as well drink beers that are just unlike anything that's being made here. Yeah, well, good luck with it. Yeah, well, yeah, no, but, sorry, but that was more a case of, yeah, there, there are some, just even the, the week or so I've been uh, out in the trade, uh, it's been fascinating to uh, just hear the feedback um, and not not just about my beers, but about, you know, the, the sort of feedback that people have about, you know, the way that they're running their taps, the beers that they're putting on, you know, there's a strong preference for local, you really need a strong brand, you can't just, um, you know, you can't just say we've got a great idea for a name for our beer. Um, and then the beer doesn't follow through. You can't just have a great beer and you don't have a cohesive story. So it, it's really fascinating to, to be out there. So hopefully I'll be able to you know, tell a few tales from the trade um, in, in upcoming episodes. So uh, Yeah, but generally what happens in the bar stays in the bar, Matt. So. All right, yeah, not, well, not naming it. It'll be, it'll be you know, what I learned. You know, it, it, it's not going to be like Anthony Bourdain, Kitchen Confidential or anything. Although actually, maybe, maybe that would be a good book. Maybe it would be a... A, a place for that, but we'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah. Now, the, the other the other skill you do need to learn very quickly is um, beer case Tetris. You've got to be able to fit thirty five cases into the back of a Kia. <laughs> oh, fortunately, I don't have to deliver. Um, not not too much. So uh, yeah, there there is a driver to do those sorts. Of, I've, I've got a, I've got a man to do that for me. Oh, you have a driver. <laughs> okay. So, um, but yeah, no. So, so that was just a bit of a diversion um, because you know I, I did say that Vale has always been good for packaging. 
And we always hear back from people so saying, oh, yeah, packaging, you know, what does that matter? Um, learning number it one, matters. it really does matter. Yeah, so it, it, yeah. It, you can get it on the shelf, but if it's not coming off the shelf, you won't get it on the shelf again. That's right. Mate, who are we talking um, to today? Of, oh, sorry. Yeah, speaking, got... of, speaking of somebody who does uh, have plenty of beers on plenty of shelves that do move um, and then are replenished, um, good friend of the program, uh, Ben Krause from Bridge Road Brewers, and uh, we've got him on today to chat about his new plan um or his new range i guess um uh, under the mate the hill uh, under, under the name mayday hills which is uh a very interesting uh and i thought would be of interest to our listeners so uh let's get straight on and uh, chat to ben kraus from bridge road brewers in beechworth yes and uh, as i said to him well he's, he's no stranger to the show so there's no point asking him our regular question who is ben kraus so instead i started by kicking up and asking him what is a fooder? What the hell is a fooder? Yeah. Um, a fooder, it's basically a big uh, big wooden tank um, is the easiest answer for it. Um, so it's a, I guess, a fermentation vessel made of oak. My house was made of oak. Um, something that was probably used a long time ago in brewing and it's making a big revi- revival. Um, lots of fooder style tanks are used in the wine industry, large large ferment wooden fermenters or oak fermenters. Um, there seems to be a lot coming out of Italy is a, is a good source of them. There's also some pretty nice Austrian ones I've seen, obviously France as well. Um, and our fooder is from the States. Um, it's from uh, American, uh, an American company that has an oak forest nearby and build them on site um, and is something that can... I guess help us generate some some house character. I guess is a long term goal um, by harbouring some some Britannomyces yeast strains and and not being as as clean and simple and straightforward as uh, as some of our Saccharomyces beers in stainless tanks. I should stress that because we, we're talking, you're a regular guest on Radio Brews News. We've talked about a whole range of things, but you have just launched your. Uh, new beers so uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the beers that you've launched this week and uh, then we can go back and talk a little bit more about the background to the uh, fooder and uh, you know, what, what they do and how they actually work yep um, so the, I mean we have launched our first beer from from this tank from the fooder um, the idea behind using it is to create a new beer each time we use it. We're actually doing, uh, it's, it takes a single a single brew length, uh, so about 24 hectolitres, so 2,400 litres per, per fermentation. Uh, we've been doing double that per release. So we do two batches of the same recipe um, and then release that beer as, as one beer. Uh, the first beer we did was called Yeeha. It was a Britannomyces pale ale. Uh, the whole idea was to do a beer style we know very well and we know what outcomes we would achieve if we had have just made that beer using a recipe with Saccharomyces yeast or an American ale strain we would normally use when we're making a pale ale. Um, the whole idea was to really find out the influence of the Britannomyces yeast in the beer. There's also quite a bit of oak influence in the, that first beer that we made um, because the oak was new. Uh, we're up to a new batch of beer, but... The oak influence has quickly dissipated. Um, so, the, the, yeah, the whole idea was to, to do a baseline beer, a, a, a pretty solid one, we believe, um, but then really find out how the, 
how the breadth's going to influence future brews um, by by seeing what it does to a standard a standard but souped up pale ale. We, we brewed it at six percent alcohol, um, hopped it a little bit hev more heavily than than we would our normal pale, and also used a, a malt profile that we use in our single hop IPAs, which is a little bit a little bit darker, a little bit more um, crystallised in it than than our standard pale. Um, so that that was beer number one. Um, the the idea or the thinking behind it is to create a botanomyces beer that's relatively clean or as clean as possible um, by providing good pitching rates of breath and using it as the sole or primary and, and sole fermenter in the in the process. So no Saccharomyces strain. In fact, if there was Saccharomyces, we'd say the beer's been infected. Um, because we, uh, we've seen that other 100% Brett beers could be really clean and really interesting and, and textural and, and fruity um, and not necessarily sour, or not at all sour, that's, that's a misconception, um, and not necessarily stinky or funky or dirty or anything like that. For, for those who are um, joining us, you know, maybe for the, the first or second time and aren't right into the you know, the, the, the sour beer craze uh, or the, the sour beer popularity that we're seeing at the moment. Um, when you take most of your beers, you would take the yeast, uh, a particular strain of Saccharomyces yeast and uh, inoculate your beer with that to get a particular character from that yeast with each yeast giving a different character. Um, Britannomyces, um, what, what are the characters of Britannomyces that makes it a little bit different to, uh, to the regular strain? So in a... In a clean uh, ferment where it's a primary yeast, we're looking for um, big fruit esters. So it's really reminiscent of lots of lots or a few Belgian strains. So while it's fermenting, you could really easily mistake it if someone gave you a sample of some sort of Belgio beer. Um, so big tropical fruit aromas, some of them that you'd find in triples. So pineapple is one that, that often sticks out when, when we're judging uh, triples from, from Belgium. Um, apricot as well so really ripe pineapple and, and some sort of more jammy apricot stone fruit characters um, so ester production is really high texturally it produces more glycerol so you get this fat feeling in the mouth or oily fat feeling um, not to be mistaken with diacetyl but rather a, a, a bigger body or a bigger um, heavier sort of coating mouthfeel is, is common from it um, and not sour, so I, I have to keep saying not sour because uh, people keep referencing sour. Um, the, the sourness would be developed through um, a, a bacterial um, inoculation or infection. So often you see in Britannomyces beers um, some sourness. That's because either it's a spontaneous ferment where bacteria has been allowed to go into it or in, and Britannomyces is, is natural in the environment as well. Um, but often you'll find in craft brewing, uh, Brett's been used as a, as a secondary fermenter. Um, so pitched into a barrel or aged on Britannomyces. And this is putting Brett into a, into a bad environment for fermentation, which produces those farmhouse characters that we know really well. So um, horsey, goatey, uh, leather, um, those sort of funky notes. And often in those environments, ageing in, in barrels and, and pitching, you'll, you'll also find there's some, some lactobacillus uh, 
in, ingress into the beers, so you'll get some sourness associated with that as well. But uh, the beers we're making are not trying to be sour. Um, so, so, so Brett's so, been getting uh, a, a bad rap um, for a long time. Um, if it's used... Well, no, I don't, yeah, but I wouldn't say... I'd say there's some awesome beers with Britannomyces out there that have all that barnyard funk, and that's, that's the appealing nature of it as well. So... Um, in wine, those those notes when they're overpowering are considered a massive fault, and people won't even put the put the wine to their mouth if they if they smell those notes. Um, there's plenty of plenty of Belgian beers that we all uh, love and are into that have big Britannomyces influence. Um, you know that are part of the, the Cantillon beer range or, or anything. There's so many so many different Belgian beers and and local Australian beers where Brett's being used to put a bit of that funk into the beer and it, and it makes makes the beer great. It's like having a smelly cheese or something like that. It's, it's part of the, the texture and the flavour profile. Um, so it, it, I, I guess our project is to prove it doesn't just have to be like that. You can, you can make Brett in a different way and it's, and it's not a waste of time. It's not as if it just does the same thing as Saccharomyces. It, it does produce a really different texture and a different structure and a really different profile. Ben, you've um, launched this brand under the name Mayday Hills. Is it a deliberate attempt, uh, or obviously fairly deliberate, to, I guess, uh, differentiate it from uh, Bridge Road? Is that to so that the brands don't get confused, or is it so that somebody doesn't buy what they think is a Bridge Road beer that they possibly, without knowledge, think is then infected? What, what's the thinking behind the, the name change? Um, definitely, definitely not the latter because it's pretty clear on the label when you have a look through it that it's Bridge Road, and I think the use of the the helmet um, sort of if people know a brand would link it straight away, or at least pick it up and try find out what the deal is. Um, it's it's really a way of differenti- differentiating that range of beers. So um, that we're using fooders to ferment it, that we're going to use Britannomyces uh, as the as the, the yeast. Um, and the Mayday Hills thing was also trying to really put a focus on uh, local in it. I mean, we, we try to be local as much as we can with, uh, with Bridge Road products, but Mayday Hills was going to look at local influences even even more as a focus, I guess. So um, the Pale Ale uses local hops. Uh, we'll, the second beer we've, we've got fermenting at the moment is an IPA that uses green tea from the Kiwa Valley. Um, so it's not in Beechworth, but it's just over the hill, um, which is why we didn't use Beechworth. We used Mayday Hills rather to, to reflect the region. Um, and then we have plans to, to get inspired by or collaborate with or look at other local growers or food producers, anyone really in our region to sort of inspire, inspire these, these beers. Just on the um, the further side of things, for those who were lucky enough to catch up with uh, Philip Snepper, who's one of the head brewers at... Uh, um, at Rodenbach, uh, last year's Good Beer Week down in Melbourne, um, would have seen his uh, slideshow of the, I think it's it's virtually a fur to farm, which is uh, in cellars beneath the the brewery. And some of those, uh, you know, and over... Above. And above, yeah. And, 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 like, we're talking hundreds of years of age, um, you know, some, some real sort of history and heritage there. Um, and from memory, there was something about uh, having a program where... Um, they've got to, I guess, clean. You know, you, you don't want to completely sanitise the further. It kind of defeats the purpose of it. But uh, are you putting in place, uh, you know, where you've got to kind of, like, I guess, scrape them back 
every now and then? And if so, does that mean they have a, a limited life lifespan? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure what what you know if they're rebuilding um, their fooders there, so shaving the staves and stuff. I imagine if they are, it, it might be on a. I don't. I have no idea, but a ten-year cycle or a five-year cycle. But they have a. Um, they have. Sorry, I'll just go somewhere else. Um, sure. Um, they have a. You know, a rotation program. Uh, ours has has a cleaning program, so we do clean it after each batch, and we re-pitch yeast into it. We definitely don't sanitize it I guess so we don't I mean it's, it's probably pretty hard to unless we were to steam the whole fooder but we do try get it clean um, we've been try hopping our beers so we need to get that hop, hop residue out as well um, but we are hoping that some yeast strains remain in the oak and, and continue to give character but we will be pitching Brett each time we we make a beer um, I have been to road back and I've been through the the maze of it just seems endless. You go up list, down list, under cellars, into other rooms, and it just goes on and on. Um, obviously, that's a you know million times bigger than what what we are here. So they have to have that constant replenishment of, of old wood and new wood and shaving and, and and those sorts of things there. Particularly with their history, I imagine some of those are fairly old. Um, we haven't got any plans to do any shaving for a while, but uh, maybe in five years we'll have to think about it. Um, if we're still making these beers. And just on the numbers, how many furters do you have at the moment and, and what's the the outlook, what's the plan? Uh, we just ha we just have the one. Uh, so the one was just to a bit of a punt to see how the beer would go. I'd only um, seen these, these US-style um, fermenters when I was in the States last year or the year before, last year. Um, and really enjoyed, uh, I'd seen it in multiple places in the States and, and really enjoyed the beers that were coming out of them. Um, so it was a bit of a punt to, to get in contact and purchase one and bring it over and and start the project. Um, fair to say we're happy with the beer um, and we've got to be able to sell it all. And then uh, once those two things are, are right, beer's good and we can sell it, then we can think about expanding the program a bit so maybe a larger fooder so we're not doing uh, two batches per, per beer um, and maybe a couple more. Mud, I won't put you on the spot to ask you how much a fooder costs, but, you know... Defer... But how much does one cost? Yeah, well, well, if you want to tell me how much one costs, uh, I'm happy to, to take it, but uh, I won't put you on the spot by asking that. How, how much does it cost at least compared to the equivalent size stainless steel? Is it more expensive, considerably more expensive or? Oh, it's, it's pretty similar. Is it really? Similar. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's probably a little bit more expensive, but it's pretty similar. It's, it's, it's nowhere near as, uh, as user friendly as the stainless steel tank though. So um, costs more to run it, I would say, you know, a uni, a uni tank. Uh, does its job. It's designed to catch yeast and be easy to clean and, you know, CIP systems that you just hose it out and drain it out. The shape of a fooder or a house is, you know, sloped floor, round on the sides and flat on top. It's, it's a lot harder to clean than a than a stainless tank, um, harder to, to manage, I'd say. Um, so, yeah, there's... It's comparable price, but a, a whole lot more work to, to live with particularly if, if you're using Brett as the primary fermenter because fermentation takes so long. Yeah, 
what one of the reasons you were saying was that you, you want the Britannomyces to, to take up residence in, in, in the wood and stainless steel had come to be used by brewers because it is so easy to clean, um, you know, it, it's, it doesn't harbour microflora that can infect beers. Um, and for you know, pretty much the whole history of brewing, brewers had gradually been moving away to more predictable results, more consistency, more um, you know, uh, clean flavoured beers um, than had tr- you know, traditionally been available when the, the wild micro- micro- microflora were, were getting in, into the beers. We have recently, uh, with the craft beer movement, seen a, a move back to some of the, the funkier, wilder, um, less predictably flavoured beers. Do you think you know, that's something that we're going to... Do, do you think that's not really only possible because we understand the microbiology better? Um, or, you know, do, or, or is it a fad? Um, you only gave me two options there. Oh, well, uh, what do you think it is, Ben? Um, I, I think, to be, to be honest, I'd say lots of us that are doing beers like this I say us because I'm not the only one doing this. There's people doing plenty more um, weird and wonderful things in Australia. Um, uh, some of them probably understand the microbes really well. Some of them just like to experiment and just take a punt on things. So um, I wouldn't say it's only because we understand things better. Maybe maybe there is because we we actually know why you know what the what the things that make those flavours and, and, you know, how those things occur, but whether we're scientific in small breweries to know exactly what's happening and how and why and, and which microbes are doing what, um, I'd say it's more of a craftsmanship to sort of control, especially if people are using uh, cool ships and things now to try control things as best they can um, without having labs to break down what's, what's actually in their beer, specific strains, and how much lacto and everything. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a fad in any more than than craft beer is a fad. It's just a, there's a, always an appetite since I began in craft brewing for new and different. Um, we've probably talked about that before. That the appetite for someone to come to craft beer is because they wanted to experience some new flavours that they perhaps hadn't before or have a different experience. Um, and that comes with uh, when you do that, you also want to understand why your experience is different. So that tastes different. Why is it so? Um, and I think these styles of beer really offer a, a whole new range of flavours and experiences and things to understand. So, you know, there's, you have a, a, a Britannomyces beer that isn't sour and before your preconception was that Brett may be a sour, you can learn about that and understand perhaps what the influence is and, and you may really love those that flavour profile, but you may not. If you, even if you didn't, it was still probably a positive experience to understand those flavours. So I think that'll be the driver behind it and we'll continue to see more weird and wonderful and we'll see more people, we see more people coming to craft to experience new flavours and we'll see more people already within craft exploring uh, sours and farmhouse beers um, because they're wanting to progress down the path they started when they first started drinking something that wasn't macro lager. Macro swill, I think uh, you boys like to call it. No, um, no, no, that must be another so, podcast. We, we, oh, we, that was Mega back swill. in the day, was it? <laughs> Mega swill, sorry. No, you, Mega you're busy yelling at this. Um, so, so it's just us. a, a <laughs> natural progression. I, I don't think you'll hear us referring to it as that way. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, 
couple of the sponsors. We've the got yellow them. beer. Well, but it, it, it's yellow, interesting. Yellow beer. Other, other beer. It, it, it's interesting <laughs> that you do talk about, you know, what are probably termed mainstream lagers, you know, or, or you know, mainstream industrial lagers. Um, and that's not in an industry in a pejorative sense, but it's just in the description of what they are. Um, yep. But I, I've recently been in Germany and had uh, some fantastic uh, discussions with brewers over there and sort of looking at, you know, they really don't even have much of a craft beer scene at all. There are a couple of places that, that are trying it, um, but it still doesn't Yeah, have... down, down south there, were, there seemed to be a little bit of break away from the norm. Yeah, but there still doesn't seem to be that same sense of revolution. It seems to be picking up an international trend and applying it to Germany as opposed to if you look at Australia or parts of um, Scandinavia or you know America um, and England where there seemed to have been you know the, the, this feeling that we you know it, it's a revolution or you know overturning the old order um, and I, I spoke to this uh, a couple of the, the brewers about it or a couple of the, the people who work for breweries and uh, one of them said quite succinctly well look in Germany we've always had choice even if you know, you, you've got a, a bar that's got one brewery. Pretty much every brewery does a, a Helles. They may do a Pilsner. They'll be doing a Dunkel. They'll be doing a Weissbier. They'll be doing a, um, a, a Dunkelweiss. They'll have three or four seasonals depending on the time of year. So we've never got to the stage as it was in America where it was just Coors, Miller and Bud. Um, so there doesn't seem to be the same, um, you know, deep need for choice that we've experienced in Australia yeah. where we pretty much got to, to, to the one lager. Do you, I mean, do you think that there's merit in, in, in that argument? Yeah, I, th I think so. I, I think there's uh, other factors playing there. I was in, in Germany and Austria, uh, my partner's from Austria, so we're, I don't just go there for, uh, for the weekend. So the things I recognise when I look at that, um, and you can look at the French wine industry and their uptake of modern winemaking practices, I think it's really hard when someone or a region or a place owns a particular thing. So let's say Germany believes they own beer um, and they have beer in a certain way. And you talk about diversity. Yes, there is some diversity, but you could really nail it back to, to a Hallis Pilsner and a Hefeweizen. And that's the, the, the length and breadth of most, you know, most places you go. Um, Hef's part of it. Maybe there's a Dunkelweizen in there. So there is some choice, but it's pretty pretty narrow. And my experience was that's what everyone did. So yeah, you could get choice when you go to another area, but it was just the same beers made by another brewery. Um, so uh, with some nuances between you know north and south, east and west, and some regional things. So I think you find when someone you know has perfected the art of something and they really own that as their tradition and it's so ingrained in society so france with wine and germany with beer they're really slow to have an appetite for change they don't feel there's the need for change and they they're probably maybe rightly so but eventually i think they do i think uh you know france took so long with the wine industry and got overtaken by the rest of the world by employing modern techniques and german have modern techniques for their beer, but because they're so traditional, even their labels, everything, nothing could be allowed to change. And slowly now it's changed. Um, and I think in in areas where perhaps it was just one macro, but they didn't really have a tradition of beer. Italy's a really good example. 
where they've just gone out and reinvented, you know, their own style of craft brewing because people weren't staunch about, no, this is beer and this is how it is. And we've been making it by the Reinhardtskabot since whatever. So I think there's that factor in there where there's resistance to change because they, they believe and rightly so they believe they've got it perfect and there's no need to change. And also say there's plenty of culture in Germany that, that is anti-change um, and they're very safe in many things they do. Um, so there's that factor. I, I'm just, I, I just think there's other factors than that too. But, it, but I do agree that 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 US that US thing seems to be the fact that there was there was one beer, even though there was from brands, there was one beer to choose from, and Australia was pretty much in the same boat. Um, you know, there was all these different brands of beer to choose from, but essentially it was one beer style. Um, you know, across light, mid, full strength, whatever. There wasn't apart from some Coopers and some the odd stout here and there and Guinness. Um, that was it. So yeah, that that could be a thing for Germany. But my experience in Austria and Germany when I've been there recently was there was from the younger generation, so not established breweries. I don't know who you talk to, um, but the ones. That, so I just went and sought craft breweries and craft beer. It was the exact same conversations we were having in Australia ten years ago from those young people, and they were quite rebellious, not because they thought that the big brewers made crap beer, just because they wanted to have different stuff to what they used to have. So I really, in, in Munich um, and in parts of Austria as well, I saw a real enthusiasm for craft beer um, just because it's something different, something new. I think it talks about the, the things I mentioned before. Do, do, um, they, do, do those people that you're talking to talk about it in terms of a, like a, a revolution? Because people in Australia and America particularly, you know, talk about these terrible macro lagers, the, you know, uh, fizzy yellow piss that you were talking about before. Yeah. Do, do, do the young Germans refer to the traditional styles that they are moving away from in the no, same more terms? more boring. The, the conversation was, you know, it's, it's boring yellow beer. Um, there's nothing exciting about about it. Was you know that that seemed to be the appetite. And there was, there was some really good stuff, and there was some some really bad stuff. You know, you're sort of trying to convince the German public to drink craft beer, and then some of the stuff that you drink is like. Uh, don't know how you're going to convince anyone to change from their, you know, solid because their their baseline beers are so good um, to to start drinking that. But there, there definitely was an appetite. There was investment and growth in in craft beer. On two years before Austria is a good example. There was nothing, and regional cities now have craft beer bars, whereas only Vienna had craft beer bar two years ago. So it's it's an indication that the same change was seen everywhere else. We'll probably go to there, and and we should also recognise there's been consolidation of those. You talk about past choice in, in Germany and, and perhaps Austria too. They they're all getting consolidated and swallowed up in the last 20 years as well. There's not as many small regional breweries as there were previously. There's still over 1,200 in Germany though, isn't there? Yeah, well, I, I don't know what the what the figures would be, but I'd I'd like to see what they were 20 years ago. Now. Oh no! no and, and, the, point is. and the point I was making before wasn't so much about the brewers are resisting change, but consumers don't seem to have the same urgency to change their drinking habits because the, yeah. the beer drinking hadn't been so dire that even if they, you know, and younger drinkers are always going to want to drink something different from their parents. Um, and, exactly, and that's that's part that part of the driver that I saw. Hmm. Hmm. So, oh mate, congratulations on the on the Fooder project. Congratulations on Mayday Hills. Um, 
How widely is it going to be available? We've uh, got a national audience, so people are going to be listening to it across the, uh, you know, be able to enjoy it across the country, or is it fairly localised? No, no, we're, we're pushing it out through our distribution channels. It doesn't get it to WA unless unless someone listening from WA wants to get our beer over there. Um, but most other places that are into craft beer, it's, it's obviously in a small bubble within the bubble that we live in, the people listening to this and, and you and me and Prof. Um, it's, you know, a small bubble within that craft beer bubble, but anywhere that that's into different rotating independent tap points um, will probably have the opportunity to get the beer that's that's just been released. Yeehaw, it's probably, probably already been and gone on tap. Um, there's still some bottles available through independent bottle stores, our own um, web store, and the next release should be out in about a month and it'll go through the same channels as previously. So independence, direct from us, um, same same places we all go to to get the beer we like, I guess. Well, good. well Ben, thank you very much for joining us once again. I, I, I think you probably uh, are in the sort of toppermost of the toppermost uh, of our regular guests on uh, Radio Brews News. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Thanks for the chat. I'd like to. It'd be good to have a chat about uh, the the European scene over at View one day off off uh, off a phone. Oh, man, absolutely. Um, I, I found it really interesting. So, um, be good to to discuss. I, I could go on about it for ages. Yeah, no, look, I, and certainly I'd love to do that. Maybe we can uh, do a podcast uh, about it as well. But because um, yeah, I was very much uh, like I was visiting very traditional breweries like Weinstefan, uh, Schlenkler. Um, uh, yep. Weltenberg, so very, very much, and then small regional, uh, very established breweries. Um, I didn't get the chance when I was in Munich to travel more widely. But again, I, I, there was no sense that um, the local breweries even felt that they had any competition from um, a desire for craft beer, um, in, you know, even in the places. Kind that of I've like been. Australia 10 years ago. Yeah, although again, the the I know. I guess they they dabbled it in themselves, but, but yeah, like I said, I could go on. Even Stiegel's done an IPA, um, you know, biggest brewery in in Austria. You know, they're looking at it and thinking about. It. And I'd say Von Stefan has done done some craft beer stuff too. They've collaborated with craft brewers. So um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting space. The, the thing I think that was missing in Austria and Germany, and sometimes we miss here. I'm myself guilty of it that we end up making other people's beers so we make american style beers rather than australian style beers when we come to craft brewing and i think that in germany i saw that american model compared to italy which really sort of do their own craft beer with an influence from the globe including america obviously the leaders so um like i said we should have a beer and talk more that'd be awesome so yeah no, i've got a lot of things i want to carry on with but uh, prof won't let me uh, due to time constraints so, uh, Ben, thanks very much for joining us uh, on Radio Brews News and hopefully we'll talk to you over a bit very, very soon. All right. Cheers, guys. In the garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. 
And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. And that was Ben Krause from Bridge Road Brewing. Always a good chat with Ben. Now, Prof and I didn't get a chance in our effortless uh, professionalism to uh, do the middle part of the podcast. So you've just got me introducing the next guest and we'll be joined by Prof again on the other side of this. But we uh, decided to catch up also with Chris Thomas from Club Brewing Company. Now, there are a lot of beer subscription services. Uh, We're seeing a lot of collaboration uh, beers and uh, breweries coming up. Club Brewing is doing a hybrid of those. It's a beer subscription service, Gypsy Brewer and collaboration brewer all rolled in one. We uh, wanted to find out a little bit more about it, so we got Chris on and had a chat to Chris. All right, well, uh, we're welcoming uh, for the first time to Radio Brews News, uh, Chris Thomas, and I guess we should start off with the standard question. Tell us, who is Chris Thomas? Uh, Hi, Pete. Hi, Matt. Nice to be on uh, Brews News. Um, Well, I guess to answer that, um, I'm part of uh, Club Brewing Co., which is a new... um, brewing uh, operation which uh, which we've just started up this year and we've just recently done our uh, our first brew. Um, I guess I've worked it, I was just talking to Matt, when Matt was uh, editor of Beer and Brewer with sort of thing in eight, nine years ago is when I started writing articles uh, for Beer and Brewer and um, yeah, I've been doing that since and hey, mate, done easy, a couple of things. Easy on the plugs for our competition. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I've done a yeah, just been just been doing that. Done a couple of collabs uh, over the years, but um, yeah, just sort of getting, you know, first foray into I guess uh, that you know commercial craft uh, brewing. Yeah, and those those listeners who uh, who read beer and brewer from the back um, forward would uh, be familiar with with your work, sort of in the, in that homebrew sphere. So this is probably a pretty big jump for you to, uh, uh, I guess, dip the toe in that the commercial end of the pool. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a big difference, and I know that you know anyone who's ever anyone who's ever been to a homebrew store to conference and has listened to homebrewers gone pro, um, you know the same things sort of come up all the time. You know how I guess how different it is scaling your recipes up um, and all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's been a it's been a it's been a good learning curve for me. Um, you know, getting in it, and you know I think I I knew some of the stuff that was coming up, but there's obviously a lot of other stuff that you don't sort of necessarily foresee until you're actually uh, having a go at it. And at this point, it's probably worthwhile explaining your particular model because I guess it's kind of, it's uh, collaborative brewing, it's gypsy brewing meets beer of the month club um, in terms of your, your distribution model. Um, just just walk us through club brewing and, and how it all works. Yeah, so it's a, I guess we, the idea came up, um, we were just uh, putting on a brew, we were making a red IPA at a friend's place in Geelong, just out in his back shed and one of my mates had been sitting on the idea for a little while and he brought it up with us and um, it was just one of those moments where we all thought it was a, a bloody good idea um, and I think we probably all have those when we're having a couple of beers sometimes but the difference was that it was you know, still a good idea in the morning, it was still a good idea the next day and uh, and that is the yeah, Club Brewing Co. So we are going to be doing exclusively collaboration. So every beer we make is going to be a one-off with uh, with uh, either international breweries or uh, or local breweries. Um, the model is that we will be uh, distributing these uh, to people's homes, you know, just door to door. So it's membership based. So if I guess people want to access these one-off uh, exclusive collaborations, then they need to be members, and then those 
packs will be delivered to their door. So yeah, that's I guess the the crux of it. And um, I mean, there's a there's so many amazing breweries out in Australia at the moment, around the world at the moment. That we were, I, I guess, the thing that probably piqued our interest was that this was you know just had a little bit of a uh, you know a point of difference, a little bit of a niche there. Chris, you, you've uh, you, your first brew was with uh, Mitch Steele, um, best known as uh, being the head brewer of Stone. That's a big get for your first beer. How did you manage to convince him to uh, to, to come along to the concept? I think it was one of those really interesting ones. Um, I was doing an article on Mitch, and I just emailed him through some questions, um, and you know, just introduced myself and um, yeah, you know, did some questions as a bit of a lead up for uh, the home brew conference, which was in Adelaide uh, in October. And, uh, yeah, then I just shot him off another email and I just said, you know, I know this is a little bit cheeky, but um, starting up this club and, um, you know, would uh, would you be interested in, um, you know, being our first, you know, collaboration brew? And, uh, yeah, he, you know, it was amazing. He, he's such a humble guy. He thanked us for the opportunity, thanked us for the invite and uh, then extended his stay in, uh, in Australia by two nights and, um, yeah, came from Adelaide over to Melbourne um and you know put the brew on with us and stayed that night and then uh, back to his uh, family in america you know the next day so it was it was one of those ones that yeah we just you know we i mean yeah it, it was just asking him you know that we didn't have to convince him it was just asking him whether he'd like to do it and um he loves brewing um he loves making ipas and he loves using hops that he hasn't used before and malts that he hasn't used before so you know we had some um we had some Cara Red there and we had some um, some uh, hops, the Enigma hops that he hadn't used before. So, yeah, we chucked, chucked um, a couple of kilos of those on the dry hop, um, which, uh, yeah, which Mitch was excited about. And obviously we were just excited to be brewing with him. Now, Chris, obviously you're going to be, if you like, limited by the brewery that you're using will determine, I guess, how much beer you make. Does that mean then that, uh, you know, if, if I sign up but I'm the, you know, the 101st subscriber... Uh, is there a chance I'm going to miss out? Yeah, there's essentially, I, I think uh, essentially where we are at the moment where, and we've been brewing out of Craft and Co in Collingwood at the moment, um, we're not reaching their capacity yet. So, you know, if, if there are if there are extra members, then, um, you know, we can increase our capacity to cater for that. Um, but for every pack, yeah, absolutely. Once it's, once it's brewed and boxed, um, you know, there is only a limited amount that, that is available. And if it's gone, it's gone. Um, but obviously, we'd be happy to have people on board for the next pack. And uh, our aim will be to keep uh, playing to the strengths of the breweries that we uh, that we collaborate with and to make sure that we're, um, you know, always making exciting recipes, um, using fresh ingredients, following new styles. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully producing some, um, you know, some outstanding beers. And a couple of questions for those who, who might be interested in looking at subscribing. The first one is um, uh, is the distribution side of things. Obviously, a lot of brewers who get into the caper find that then uh, once the beer, I guess, leaves their their stewardship, um, issues issues can arise. Now, obviously, you're going to be sending to wherever your subscribers happen to live. Mm. Um, is that considered an issue? Yeah, it was or certainly have you something out that we ways around that. Yeah, we we considered early on, and um, you know, we've we've avoided um secondary fermentation, um, which is, um, you know, that bottle conditioning, uh, for the reason that we we want the beer to essentially be, you know, um, I guess, it, it's it, I guess when, as when stable you're as possible. Yes, as stable as possible. So once it's uh once it's bottled, um, it's done. 
And yeah, there's certainly less room for things to um, affect the uh, quality of the beer because of that. And um, yeah, we'll certainly be recommending to our uh, our subscribers that they've either got a place for us to deliver it to where they can, um, you know, then keep it, you know, get it cold and keep it cold as quick as possible. Um, and you know, whether that's delivering to a workplace or leaving a uh, an esky behind the, you know, the the front door wire screen or whatever. And um, yeah, just allowing the the delivery to make sure that you know that beer gets cold again as quick as possible and uh, is ready for our customers to drink. Um, initially, we considered whether we should be delivering to some of the warmer climates like Western Australia, Queensland, and the like. Um, and we did get a bit of feedback from one of our first members uh, who was in Queensland, and uh, you know, pretty much reminded us that he, he deserved the same opportunity as anyone else in Australia to receive the beer. So yeah. We uh we certainly um will do everything that we can to make sure that it that arrives you know as fresh and uh, as as stable as possible. Yep. And my second, uh, if you like, inverted commas concern was uh, if I'm interested in trying a style that perhaps I haven't had before or whatever, I can go to uh, you know a bottle shop tasting or a you know a bar that has it on tap and and, and get a you know a sample size or something like that. Um, the other thing I can do is go to festivals and that sort of thing where I have a stall. Is there any plan to sort of have any opportunities for people to sample the beers before they kind of commit to them? Yeah, with with that, uh, we'd certainly, once we've got a product, um, we'd, we'd certainly be happy to, um, you know, get to some festivals and things like that, um, as long as we've got, you know, some some product left over, um, and that, that will always be dependent. Um, the other thing that we, we will certainly endeavour to do is get to Gab's um, and make sure that, you know whether we have a stall or not this year, we're we're unsure. But certainly, um, you know, get, getting a beer into the, um, you know, into the, uh, I, I guess the, um, sorry, fellas, the, I'm thinking the consumer. Yeah, yeah, in, 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 into in, into that spot. Yeah, for sure. Um, with the uh, with the style, you know, I I guess we're we've really committed as club brewing to be, um, you know, to be daring with our beers. Um, and to be adventurous with our beers, but not to be, um, you know, gimmicky with our beers, essentially. So, you know, the styles that we produce, we we understand that the person's going to be getting um, in each pack uh, eight of those beers. And I guess just to clarify for, you know, because I haven't mentioned this, um, in each each delivered pack, there's going to be three different collaborations with three different uh, different breweries. And the, uh, you know, the you know, the member will receive eight of each of those three three beers. So in the first pack, we've got a uh, an, an IPA uh, with Mitch Steele, obviously previously of Stone. We've got a pomegranate saison with Mountain Goat, and we've got an XPA with uh, with Yeasty Boys. So that XPA is uh, brewed uh, solely with New Zealand hops. Uh, we've got some Nelson Sav in there, which is pretty hard to, to get otherwise. But, uh, yeah, to get back to the question where – yeah, we're 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 focused on on the uh, consumer getting eight beers that he or she is going to uh, going to enjoy, going to want to drink, but also eight beers that they can't necessarily just get straight off the uh, off the shelf elsewhere. But actually, Prof, um, it was something that I hadn't thought too much about. But Prof raises an interesting question. You know, even very experienced brewers often when they're bringing out a new beer, um, you know, have to dial in the recipe. They, you know, there's a couple of incarnations before they they, they, they really nail it um, a lot of collaborations do tend to be one-off keg um, release beers you don't see too many mm. um, you know one-off collaborations going out in bottle um, in, in in this way is is there a risk that uh, you know just constant doing one-offs 
um, could make the styles a little bit hit and miss? Yeah, I, th- I think with the experience of the um, the breweries that we're working with and, and playing to the strengths of the breweries that we're working with. So, you know, oftentimes the, the recipes that we're making are, I guess, re- you know, incarnations of something that they've either uh, played with before um, and, and, you know, a different take on it. So I guess an example of that will be the recipe that we're doing with uh, Fuller's from the UK, which will go in our next pack. Um Every couple of years, Fuller's have been releasing a uh, Past Masters series, which is uh, basically them going back through their old recipe books, um, you know, as far back as the uh, the 1800s and uh, rebrewing some of those recipes and releasing them into bottles. And um, I had one of their ones from 1966 um, last year. In fact, sorry, earlier this year. And it was just a, a fantastic malt-driven beer and one that rated even higher um, from the consumers, and, and it, I think it's a 99 on rate beer, or you know, it's, it's certainly high in the 90s. If it's not a 99, is um, their 1891 Past Masters, uh, which is a uh, which is a, a strong ale. And so what they've done is, um, you know, with this recipe, is they've given us the the base for that. And I was talking to John Keeling, who's the um, the head brewer over there at uh, at Fuller's, and he's had a go with a couple of Australian hops, and and he just said, look, I, I think. Vic Secret would go really nicely on top of, you know, on top of this uh, malt-driven strong ale. And, um, you know, having tasted a, a couple of uh, different varieties of it, the, um, I couldn't agree more. So it's really playing to their strengths and and, and tweaking little bits here and there to, to, I guess, give it a new lease, of, lease on life. So the Vic Secret will add, add something quite different to it, but we're committed to keeping it as a strong ale. We're not going to turn it into an IPA. Um, you know, so we want to be want to be true to the beers, but playing to the the strengths of the breweries. And um, you know, with uh, beer here from Denmark, we're doing a very similar thing with their with their dark hops, um, black ale. Um, in that, we'll be introducing some Nelson Sauvignon hops, which um, isn't. I think I mentioned already, it's not a not a very easy to access hop um, for people who are making, you know, big big batches and are going to need to use those hops time and time again whereas with ours being one-offs um you know we're able to access some of those some of those hops that other other breweries will find hard to access on an ongoing basis chris on a uh i guess a slightly different level a lot of brewers uh particularly i guess you know that and you've, you've name checked a couple of guys who who i've been lucky enough to, uh, to meet and to to judge with and who apart from being um, magnificent brewers are, are really terrific guys and often very sort of uh, creative behind that. Um, have you yet or do you envisage having any um, issues with, say, labelling and, and branding and that sort of thing? Because obviously when you're working with, you know, it's, it's it's kind of your beer and it's also my beer and here's kind of what we want to play with. The, oh, no, I don't think that fits my brand. You know, like uh, who, who has, I guess, the, you know, uh, the, the deciding vote? Oh, look, I, I, there isn't really a deciding vote. It's just a, you know, and I, and I think that's one of the beauties about collaboration that, um, you know, we've, we've, we've got to, um, you know, agree on, on a style. We've got to agree on what we actually want to do. And, um, you know, it, it, I, we certainly haven't come across any, any issues, um, you know, with the, with the branding or um, we haven't had any, um, any issues with uh, deciding on styles? You know, when um, I guess when when I've been approaching the uh, the different breweries, I've usually come to them with with a bit of an idea. Um, but it's certainly been an open, um, you know, an, an, an open uh, conversation about what we do next. So, 
I guess, um, you know, with Baird Brewery from Japan, we're actually hoping to include Baird in our first pack. Um, and we want to do, with Baird, we want to do something that reflects, uh, I guess, some of the, you know, their strengths in, and they do a lot of stuff with citrus. And uh, we also want to have something that's a little bit reflective of, the, of uh, Japanese culture. And there were a few different types of citrus that we were really keen to use. And um, Baird were really insistent that we use fresh citrus, which we 100% agreed with. And unfortunately, it's not citrus season here at the moment. So what, we, uh, what we've what we done with that is we just had to, you know, say, well, you know, as much as we want to do this right now, we're going to have to postpone this until citrus season next year. And, you know, when that comes in, we've already got a, a supplier to get some uh, some yuzu fruit, uh, which, is a, which is a Japanese citrus. And, um, you know, we'll be using their skills uh, in citrus. They've got a yuzu beer that they already have, which is available in Australia. And we'll be doing a, uh, you know, quite a different take on that. But um, yeah, sometimes it's just getting getting the timing right, but we haven't had any, um, you know, any hassles, you know, coming up with a, with a style. You know, I think the, the breweries that we've been in touch with have been open. You know, we've been quite open to uh, to what we do. And, um, and, I, and I think that's the key. Chris, we've seen a lot of um, statistics out of the US recently where, the you know everyone talks about um when they talk about the potential for a craft beer bubble they talk about how the market for craft beer is growing and will continue to grow but we've also seen out of the us recently the um you know the rate at which breweries are opening and the capacity they're bringing to the market is outstripping the growth um, in demand for craft beer um, and sometimes a figure so sometimes a finger is pointed at um you know breweries that you know uh, that are sometimes called gypsy brewers sometimes called dilettante brewers meaning they're guys that have got a full-time day job and they just sort of you know brew a little bit for the vanity of um, having their, their their label on um it, you know is is there a risk that um you know these type of projects uh, like you're on you know that it's a fantastic uh, marketing idea it's a fantastic you know sort of angle to create awareness and attention but you know it, is there the potential that you know, breweries and projects uh, like this are adding to the log jam, log jam that's been created in bottle shops and bars? Yeah, I think um, that's something that you know we we've been pretty pretty aware of. Um, you know what's happening in the US. Obviously, US has got um, you know per, per capita there. Uh, you know, a number of microbreweries, uh, you know, craft breweries is is much you know, much, much larger than than uh, than Australia at the moment. Um, I don't think we're, we've reached that stage in Australia yet. Um, it's not to say we won't reach it, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, when it comes to bottle shops, absolutely, you know, there, there, there can be so many different, um, you know, different types. But uh, I guess given our I, – I think our model, given our beers won't be in bottle shops, I don't think we'll – impact on that um i guess that log jam that you that, that you speak of um so i think you know our, our model should hopefully positively influence um you know the industry and um you know raise raise attention of different breweries different styles um different ways of doing things um and 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 hopefully be uh you know certainly you know good for the industry as opposed to uh you know i guess what's what's uh what's at risk in, in america at the moment I mean, certainly America's got, you know, multiples, uh, you know, many times um, the number of breweries that Australia's got, but their population is also much bigger. You know, I think mm. depending mm. on who you speak to, there's mm. three to 350 
breweries in in, in the country and you yep. know, just just judging by the number that we see you know there's easily another 50 or 60 due to open in australia um yeah and you know you, you, you're hearing more and more often um you know breweries that are well established um saying look i'm finding it very hard to sell my core range and so everybody's bringing out regular seasonals regular collaborations um there does seem to be a mindset amongst consumers that they just want what's new. Um, and yet brewers also say that, you know, you can't build a brewery without a core range. Um, you know, does this um, project, you know, plug into, you know, that sort of magpie mentality where they just want the next shiny thing, not necessarily, you know, the, the regular things. And, you know, can even you guys um, build a business on uh, a, a constant, you know, collaboration model, a constant uh, you know, new beer model and not having a, uh, a regular line? Yeah, um, I, I think certainly, um, you know, consumers are really keen and excited to try new stuff that comes out. And, um, you know, gen, gen, generally speaking, I think, um, you know, when, when new things are coming out, people get excited um, and, and, you know, they're, they're keen to have a taste, which, uh, which is great. And it's, you know, great for our model. Uh, hopefully, you know, with that, that collaboration, that exclusivity and, uh, you know, sort of one-off stuff. Um, when, I guess when it comes to that core range, um, you know, I know that a lot of, uh, a lot of craft beer drinkers are always keen to try what's, what's new, what's, what's around. But I think, I think I'll be speaking for a lot of craft, uh, beer drinkers as well that, um, they've usually got, you know, their, their sort of go-to beers as well. So I, I think, um, you know, when, you know, if you're off to a barbecue, you know, a person might might take along, um, you know, a few, few different collaborate. Oh, sorry, a few different, um, you know, sort of one-off beers or uh, or the like. Or um, you know, they might be more inclined, and I, I would probably be one of those ones who's more inclined to, you know, grab grab a six-pack of something that I know. Um, so you know, I can be focused as much on the company of the people that I'm that I'm with, um, probably more so than um, you know having having the uh, the full attention on the beer that I'm drinking. But um, you know that that said, it's a you know it's a it's an interesting one, and um, you know whether I, I guess our model is based around those exclusive beers, and I think that you know our, our plan at the moment is not to have a uh, not to have a core range, and you know to keep to the uh, the membership um, you know the membership model, and and hopefully that's something that can work for us, and and uh, you know the you know, everything, everything that we do is new. And I mean, collaboration wise, we've, we've pretty much, um, you know, for the next 12 months, we've got most of our brews sort of, um, pegged out. So, and, and, you know, making sure that we've got, um, you know, different things in each pack, um, you know, beers that aren't going to be too similar. So we're not going to have a, a pack that's got three types of IPA in it. We're always going to be looking for, um, you know, different, different beers to go into our pack. So I guess, yeah, you know, hopefully that our, our model um, is one that we're able to keep making new things, keep making exciting things, and um, you know that uh, you know it doesn't. You know, that I guess that it impacts positively on the uh, on the craft beer. Um, you know, the craft beer community. How, how do people uh, find out more? Or how can they sign up? Actually, how much is how much is a carton? What what sort of uh, yeah. dollars are you talking about setting your back? Yep. So the. Uh, Basically, people can go to our clubbrewing.com uh, and all the info's there. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and um, and Instagram as well. And um, you know, people are able to log in there and um, and sign up uh, for for the packs. Um, 
there's two options on the sign-up. Uh, people can either, uh, you know, there's the Get Beer, which is uh, signing up to the uh, quarterly uh, quarterly delivery, and there's the Give Beer, which is uh, something that people might buy for another person's birthday or something like that, which is the one-off pack that we're doing at that time. And, yeah, so that's how people get in. It's $99 per pack, and we've sort of come up with that figure. We've tried to keep it as, as low as we can, um, and I guess the way that we've sort of looked at it is that, you know, if someone was to buy you know, three, uh, sorry, four, six packs, you know, you'd be, you'd be getting it about that figure anyway. And in fact, you'd probably be over that figure if you were looking at the, um, I guess the, uh, you know, the companies that we're working with and the, um, you know, the, I guess the, the one-off uh, brews that we're sort of doing. So yeah, hopefully that, that price is, um, you know, about on the money and uh, deliveries on top of that, unless, um, you know, as we're brewing in Melbourne, there's, there's free delivery uh, in Melbourne and Geelong. Um, but other than that, yeah, there's just different rates for, you know, I guess, how far that beer is, uh, is going. Chris, I'm really surprised that the package came in at you know, under 100 bucks. You must be hoping to get a bit of volume fairly quickly um, with just the, the margins and the, the costs associated with um, putting together something like this, particularly in a, in a quarterly pack. Yeah, we, we, we've tried to keep the uh, the costs as low as we can. Um, you know, we're aware that there's other other groups out there um, who, who, you know, who are doing the delivery thing. Um, and, and you know, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole variety of, um, you know, different prices that are, that are going out there. I guess um, one thing that we're, we're trying to do with the, uh, with the delivery pack is, I guess, cutting out, I guess, the, you know, the bottle shop, the pub, the, you know, the middleman sort of thing um, so that we can keep the price as low as we can for, for our members um, and to make it as uh, enticing, as reasonable uh, for our members as possible. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, when you, when you, you know, brewing, um, I guess nomadically, you know, you're going around to different breweries to, to brew your stuff. The margins are always a little bit lower, but yeah, we're, we're certainly hoping, you know, going Australia wide that we can, um, get a good membership base up and, uh, yeah, ho- hopefully be, uh, you know, delivering some really awesome beers to, uh, to people and, um, you know, some really interesting styles, some adventurous, uh, takes on traditional styles and um yeah hopefully you make that um that's something that people are really keen to get involved in all right mate all, all the best to you we're interested to see how it goes you've certainly lined up some uh sort of amazing brewers and, and some big names so uh yeah we'll, we'll uh, see how it goes and good luck with it hey thank you very much fellas it's been uh good being a part of uh brews news and uh yeah have a have a good day fellas good on you thanks very much uh, chris thanks okay, chris th- thanks all see good you. Was Chris Thomas from uh, Club Brewing? Uh, Prof, mate, are you going to be signing Club up Brewing Co? Uh, look, I I'm, I would certainly look into it. Um, I don't know whether or not um, I it's for me just at the moment. Uh, as I say, I'm, I'm a little bit um, I, I guess not not suck it and see because you know I I, I figure my palate is is broad and my uh, there are very few beers that I I don't like. Um, but look, I, I think there's certainly a market for it, and wish him well. Oh, look, absolutely. You know, the collaboration, the the name, the excitement. As I as I said in the questions, there's certainly ticking a lot of boxes there. Um, you, you know, I, I just sort of think about that when I heard, well, a box of twenty four of eight. You start pushing up against that um, consumer thing where, oh, I'm taking a risk. What if I buy eight beers and I don't like it? 
I'm stuck with, you know, uh, I'm Seven stuck with yeah. these beers that I don't yeah. want to drink. Um, which is always the trying a new thing. And, uh, you know, a lot of people will go in and get a bottle of their favourite collaboration brew from the bottle shop and, you know, try it. And if they like it, rave about it. Um, but, you know, getting eight, you know, well, it, it, it's three lucky dips um, eight times in, in a carton. But, you know, they've certainly, I'm, I'm amazed at the... Uh, Price point? Yeah, you know, the... the, the well, no, well, the, the price point, but the names of the brewers that they've got involved. Um, you know, they're certainly ticking the, the sort of beers that the beer geeks would love to, you know, people who are really into this sort of uh, um, yeah, collaboration yeah. brewing would, would love to see. So, yeah, look, I mean, and look, as yeah, I said, will decide, you know, and I guess uh, there's flexibility there to say, okay, people don't want to take a chance on eight. Maybe we give them, you know, six different beers for each. Well, then, but can you imagine the amount of work involved in organizing i mean just the amount of work involved in getting one collaboration you're booking a you know a, a brewery to brew in getting a name on board thinking of styles you know doing that eight times uh you know again it's there's just so much behind something like this I, you know hats off to anybody that's willing to take on a, a project like this and back themselves with it um you know yeah good luck and, and certainly as you said there's prof. nothing else to sort of compare it to so um it, it's out on its own which is good Mm, absolutely yeah no it's it's ticking a lot of boxes as i said so yeah it'll be very interesting to see um you know how it goes. I'm, I'm sure i'm sure chris will get lots of cards and or letters ah, i see what you did there well done um we do actually actually we can uh run into a couple of uh things uh that you have prepared and have ready and that are right in front of you that you're oh, I've got reading the out away. now i just didn't have the file open yes <laughs> that i'm reading out now uh, next thing here will be Matt reading um, out the things that are right in front of him that he prepared earlier starting now it, it, it's actually a question not a uh, congratulations or anything but it's we it's even better than mailbag we don't want everything to just be either shit canning us or telling us how great we are uh, we do a pretty good job What's the of question, that ourselves Matt? anyway uh, Kevin Yates um, hi Matt always enjoy the podcast long time listener first time emailer Wondering if you know any background on stone and wood dropping the ABV on their garden ale. Guessing this is probably mostly concerned with taxation, but also wondered on a more serious note if recent events around Pacific Ale have taken a toll financially. Had a call from my brother-in-law and I thought, oh gee, I didn't know anything about this. He goes on to say, had a call from my brother-in-law who ordered two cartons of the stone and, uh, of the garden ale. One delivered was 3.5% and the other was 3.8%. Cue the dun-dun-dun music locky. Uh, wondered if you had any info. Cheers and thanks for the podcast. Um, so it was news I've to me. I've always known it to be 3.5. So, or was it 3.8? Oh, no, it was always a Hang little on. bit. Yeah, apparently it was. So anyway, I uh, contacted Jamie Cook, who we've been speaking to this week because we're going to be speaking to him. Uh, Jamie Cook from yeah. one of the founders of Stone and Wood. Um, and fired that question to him and he came back and said, uh, was waiting for you to pick up on the garden ale. <laughs> there you go, Prof. We, uh, apparently, we should have picked up on it as uh, industry pros. Um, happy to talk about it on the 7th, but in short, we felt at 3.8%, it was in no man's land a bit. People were referring to it as a mid-strength and at 3.8%, it technically isn't. So we decided we didn't want to be misleading people into thinking they were drinking mid-strength beer at 3.5% when they weren't. Uh, it certainly wasn't about taxation because whatever re excise reduction there was, we passed all on straight uh, via a reduction in our wholesale price. 
that's not to say that it's going to be uh, reduced at the retail end, uh, Kevin. Um, we're working with the trade to have them pass it on to drinkers at retail. There you go, right. answers that part. He did also add, uh, but I will say, as you know, as uh, there is a 0.2% tolerance either way on the ABV. 0.02. Yep. So it's sometimes in the past, Gardnail could be at, come close to 3.6 and uh, it could on occasion be close to 3.7. But I'm sure you understand the overlap from a product perspective and the relatively minor tweak to the product that was required for the labelling change. So yes, Kevin, there you go. You've got it straight from the brewery. Uh, and hopefully we answer your question, Kevin. So uh, let's see. Um, so that's all in cards and letters. Um, if you do have a question, listeners, if you've got a question about your favourite beer, we certainly have the ability to get it answered from the people who know. Otherwise, let us know how we're going. Send us some feedback. Let us know what you think about the show and what we can do better, different or not at all. Um, if you do like what we do um, and you want to leave us a... Uh, a thank you on uh, by uh, rating us on iTunes so other people can find us. Jump on there, leave us your feedback. Um, otherwise, you can also make your uh, thank us in a way that buys proper beer by becoming a, brew, uh, a podcast uh, executive producer or a producer, um, coming in and uh, sponsoring, you know, making regular sponsorship each month um, just to give us a couple of dollars call it a subscription um, and we've got two new uh, actually we've, we've got a new sponsor on Shane Jesprizzo who actually came on a couple of weeks ago I just hadn't received the email from PayPal saying that we had a new uh, executive producer so Shane thank you very much uh, for the last couple of weeks uh, we'll make sure you're credited for those and thank you very much for coming on as a uh, executive producer um, Shane's a regular listener to the show and I think a regular correspondent yep. of yours Prof um, and also Ian Clark. Uh, jumped on board and uh, didn't subscribe, uh, but he came on and made a donation, which is very, very much appreciated. So, Ian, thank you very much for helping us out and showing that you uh, enjoy the show in the way that you know is well concrete. Is that a no, not at all? Thing and that's, that's good. Thank you, Ian. And uh, so, if it's the same Ian Clark that I think it is, he, he's, he could uh, you know encourage his brother to uh, do the same. <laughs> Fair enough, Prof. Have you had anything in your no, mailbag? Not this week. Not this week. Too easy. Well, great, great show this week, Prof. Uh, two great guests, and uh, I'll look forward to talking to you next week. Arrivederci. Didn't, Cheers, didn't say anything, but thanks, thanks for listening. Yeah, he did. No worries at all, mate. It's a pleasure. Oh, that is, that's a little bit harsh. <laughs> does he give you? Does he? Does he ever give you a chance to speak, Prof? Can I answer that, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. <laughs>